Testing, testing, one, two, three. There we go. Normally, I repeat the Hebrew alphabet when we're doing that. So it's great to be here. Allow, thanks for allowing me to come. And thank you for this lovely service of remembrance. I've never seen anything like that before. And that just, that was just beautiful. And to think about what we're talking about today, waiting in hope, and the reality of what it is to think about the hope that we have in Christ even as death faces us. It's good to be here. Thanks. Uh, congratulations on calling RJ. I know RJ fairly well. Um, I did a couple of family retreats for him uh, in his church. And uh, yeah, uh, you're going to be blessed by this guy. He uh, uh, loves the Lord and he will serve you well. So congratulations on that. And uh, <clears throat> I know why I'm here. And uh, you know why I'm here. And you've already talked, to doc, talked about Dr. Fowler and the uh, GoFundMe campaign. Um, I'm fairly close touch with the Fowler family. I was there at the home yesterday helping them out a little bit, moving some boxes and that kind of thing. Um, and so uh, we need to keep constantly in prayer for Stan. Stan is a dear, dear friend of mine, a very close colleague. We work together for many, many years now. And uh, I consider him to be one of the finest theologians in the world today. And I don't, I'm not exaggerating. Um, I find that when he speaks theologically, speaks to issues of ethics, speaks to issues of morality, speaks to the issues of the church, he speaks with gentleness, kindness, and he speaks with conviction and grace. And I don't know of anyone who can evaluate a situation carefully and thoughtfully like he does, come at it from all sides, explain the various ways to approach a matter and then land graciously and gently uh, where he believes he needs to and inevitably it's orthodox and biblical. And so this is the kind of man that he is and to have him silenced um, and in a wheelchair, unable to speak, unable to walk, unable to write. Um, I visited with him once um, I hope, I'm hopefully going to be able to see him again, uh, is just brutal. And uh, it's a huge loss uh, to the community of faith, to the Church of Jesus Christ, to the witness of the gospel. So uh, it's with, I understand why I'm here, and it's with some grief that I am in the fact that he was your interim pastor. Um, and uh, we need to keep praying for Donna and the rest of the family. It's not an easy time, and they have to make some very, very hard decisions. And uh, Stan is fully aware of everything. He is not missing a thing. And in some ways, that makes it worse because uh, he cannot communicate other than a move of his left hand and his eyes and his head. And that's about it. Can't move his right. And um, so anyhow, uh, and of course can't speak. Uh, the goal of the uh, GoFundMe campaign is $35,000 uh, to help them out and get them, uh, get them this. And you can check that out. Um, uh, I think you'll probably get information on that. The, the school is running one. I think that's the one you're contributing to. And uh, you can check that out on the Heritage website. And he also, another thing that we're doing is I think we're all watching this uh, disaster that's happening in the lower mainland of, of British Columbia these days. And we hear, and you've been seeing it on your televisions and wherever, um, the pain of the loss and the, dist 
and destruction and desperation of, of that area. My brother lives out that way. And he hasn't been directly affected, but he has been indirectly affected. And he just talks about how disastrous it is. But I think one of the most important things, or one of the most difficult things that these folks are dealing with and have to deal with is the issue of waiting. You know, some of them had to wait in cars for maybe a couple of days as they were caught between the, uh, the mudslides. And... Uh, some are still waiting for uh, the waters to recede. Um, they got snow yesterday in parts of it, um, waiting to get back to their homes and farms. And that waiting must be excruciating. And we've all experienced the pain and frustration of waiting. <laughs> now, most often it's trivial. Uh, we have to wait in line at Tim Hortons, and of course, how drastic is that? But it can be something more, perhaps waiting for news of a friend or a family member, perhaps waiting for a doctor's report, perhaps waiting for the notification as to whether we've been accepted at the school we've applied to or a job that we've applied for. So today we're celebrating the first Sunday of Advent. Now, those of you who are unfamiliar with the tradition of the church, know that actually Advent started last Sunday. And this is actually the second Sunday of Advent. But uh, we are going to start our Advent Sundays today. Um, and we've lighted, lit, did something to that candle that it has now got a flame on it. And you also notice that we whatever, lighted or lit the uh, center candle, which is the Christ candle, which is normally lit, lighted on Christmas Eve. But we're not having a Christmas Eve service, so we've chosen to uh, light it today. Um, and we'll keep it, keep it that way throughout the, the season, just to focus on, on Christ as the center of our faith. So today is the first Sunday of Advent, at least we're celebrating it as the first Sunday of Advent. We're going to celebrate the fourth Sunday of Advent on December 26th, which is actually the day after Christmas and Boxing Day. So we're changing the, uh, changing the, uh, the uh, tradition up a little bit, but hopefully it'll still work for us. And today, uh, it's a candle of hope. But hope inevitably means waiting. Waiting for hopeful news. Waiting for a special event to happen. Um, yesterday was my wife's 70th birthday. I can't believe I'm married to a 70-year-old. <laughs> Full disclosure, I turned 70 six months ago. So, um, um, but yeah, waiting and, and about, uh, and you know, a good husband. Um, I bought her a, a lovely 70th birthday gift about, uh, oh, two months ago. My, my daughter helped me buy it. And it's a necklace that hangs around her neck. And we have 14 grandchildren, as you heard. And all 14 names of our grandkids are on that necklace. It's a series of rings. And I could hardly wait to give it to her yesterday. And I did. It was special waiting for a special event to be able to celebrate her birthday and give her, give her that gift. 
waiting in hope for rescue, perhaps, or for healing. There's a wonderful Christmas story that captures both the idea of waiting and hope, and it's found in the story of Simeon. So I invite you to take your Bibles, your phones, or whatever you've got in front of you, okay? I can't say now, please take your Bibles because everybody's reading off their phones. I would encourage you to bring uh, a copy of the scriptures uh, each week if you can, whether it's on your phone or in an actual Bible, however you want to do it. Uh, But Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I tend not to put the scripture on the screen. Um, I, I, I prefer to read it from the text and from, uh, from the book. To me, it, it gives it a little bit more um, sacredness, and I, maybe that's just a, a hang-up with me. But um, So I would encourage you to bring uh, Bibles or some kind of uh, way to look at the text, because we will be looking at texts and walking through them, uh, doing a bit more, doing expositional preaching, which of course I think you know that you already have been deeply embedded in expositional preaching, I know you have. Um, But Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Let me read the story. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to to do for him what the custom of the law required... Simeon then took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So what are we finding here? I mean, Simeon is waiting for this consolation of Israel, and he is waiting for the Messiah that would bring hope and comfort and peace to his people. But now as, as where we are in the, you know, in the 21st century, and, and, and we're celebrating Christmas, Jesus has already come. The event has happened. So how does this story about Simeon waiting for the first coming speak to us today in the 21st century, how does it speak to us? How, do, how did Luke expect the story about Simeon? How did, he, how did he expect that story to impact the church of the first century, which was after the birth and the coming of Christ? So I guess I'm asking the question, what is Luke doing here in, in telling the church then and now This story about Simeon waiting for the first coming of Christ. And I think two things come into play. I think first, we enter into the spirit of waiting for that Christmas birth to happen. And and we do it year after year. It's it's like, I almost think like, we enter into the drama one more time. 
We enter into the story. We enter into the event one more time, and we celebrate what that story is all about, what that event is all about, what that happening was all about, and we celebrate that, and we've sung about it in the Christmas carols already. But I think there's something else going on here. And I think we recognize that while the Messiah has come the first time, and as that Getty song we just sang a few minutes ago before I came up here made, the, made mention, he is coming a second time. He's coming again. And like Simeon, we are people in waiting. He has come once, but he's coming again. We are waiting in the hope of the ultimate consolation of God's people. We live in hope of the coming of Christ that will bring comfort and peace, not just to Israel, but to all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. And so what does Luke, the storyteller, who tells this story to the first century church, want the church to see in this story of Simeon as the church waits and waits in hope? And I think there are several things that we can look at in this text. I've chosen three. And the first one is this. To be a people of waiting in hope is to be people that are righteous, devout, and filled with the Spirit. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous, devout, righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Here's what I think Luke is after. I think that Luke is after to say to the church in the first century, to say to the church in the 21st century, that to look forward and to wait is in fact an act of devotion, an act of righteousness. It is an act of being filled with the Spirit. And I think it is fair to say that we would all aspire to be devoted, to be righteous, to be filled with the Spirit. I don't think anyone who follows Christ would, would deny that that's what we want to be. And no, we're not in temple courts. No, we're not standing on the top of a mountain waiting for Christ to return with our hands raised. But when we are a people pointed to that day when Christ will return, when we are oriented in waiting for that glorious event that's going to happen in the second coming of Christ, we are recognized as godly and spirit-filled. You know, I find myself deeply interested in the present. We need to be. Koheleth in the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, go eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God approves what you're doing. That's wisdom and that's fear of the Lord. But I need to be reminded that part of godliness and being spirit-filled spirit is to be aware of and living in the hope of that day, a day that is coming when Christ will return, a new heavens and earth will come into being, and the world will be set to rights. And as the song just said, never be more homesick than now. No more weeping. No more loss. No more death. 
No more Dr. Stan Fowler's in a wheelchair, unable to speak, walk, or write. The last words of Jesus in the Bible are, I am coming soon. Our last prayer in the Bible is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so if we want to be a people of righteousness and devotion and being filled with the Spirit, we need to be a people in waiting like Simeon was. Waiting in hope. And on this Advent Sunday, while we wait for Christmas one more time and the hope that it brings in the coming, first coming of Christ, we continue to wait in hope for that second arrival when all things begun in Christ's first coming will be culminated and completed in his second. And this is the glory and hope of the church. So this is the first thing I see in this story that Luke is telling the church Second thing is this, and I think it's captured in the song. Simeon sings a song rooted in the Old Testament scriptures, and it deals with the question of who it is waiting for. So we, you, we see uh, Mary and Joseph come in, and they bring the child, and Simeon takes the child in his arms, and he sings this song, or he praises prayer and poetry. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your spirit, your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And second thing I think that, that Luke is after here is that we need to focus on the fact that it is a very special person that is arriving and that person is none other than Jesus, that baby brought into the temple by Mary's and Joseph. For hundreds and thousands of years, God's people have been waiting. Prophets like Micah and Zechariah and Isaiah talked about it. For 400 years, the prophets have been silent. All kinds of pretenders for Messiah had come and gone. And now the long-awaited one has come. And Simeon sings a song. In the tradition of the church, it's called Nuke Demitus. Now dismiss. God can let him die. The promise has been fulfilled. And this baby in the arms of Mary and Joseph is the one. And his name is Jesus. And as we look at the song... Here are some things that we learn about that Jesus. We learn that he is God's salvation. Physical salvation, spiritual salvation, salvation from our sins by confession and belief, salvation and restor restoration of a broken and fallen world. We find that that salvation is for all nations, all peoples, all Gentiles. While he was a Jewish Messiah, this Jesus was a Jewish Messiah, his reach extends to all peoples, and we proclaim this good news to every tongue, tribe, and nation in the world. And he is the glory of the nation of Israel. But not only is Jesus the glory of the nation of Israel, now he is the glory of the church. And he's our glory. So we see and hear the story of Simeon. Simeon. We learn that if we are going to be godly and spirit-filled people, we are to be a people in waiting, waiting in hope. Now 
for Christ's second coming. Second, we learn that we are waiting for a very special person. This person, this Jesus that came into that temple that day and who is God's salvation for all peoples and who is the glory of God's people, now the church. And the source of our hope. But there's one more part to the story and Simeon now gives a prophecy, a prophecy of deep pain and conflict. And he prophesies this, and this is brutal. There, there's, there's, there's very little joy here. The ultimate realization is joy. But, but look, look what he says. Look what he says to, to Mary in particular. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, now he gives a prophecy. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So I think the third thing we might see out of this story is that this Jesus, the one who is our hope and he is, will also bring pain, conflict, and a pierced soul. The story takes a dark turn. It's not quite what we expected and I'm sure wasn't what Mary and Joseph expected. And he prophesies three things. He says that this Jesus will be a person that not just for Israel but for all people will either rise or fall on. Yes, many will fall over Jesus. Fall because of Jesus. Including us. Israel fell over Jesus because he claimed to be the Messiah and they couldn't accept that. Today, many of us follow or many people fall over and at times I find myself wrestling with this over his exclusivity. I am the way, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. And I'll tell you, that's huge in our time and culture. Our postmodern generation is appalled by this claim. Other faiths are appalled by this claim and offended. But we boldly proclaim this truth. And people stumble and fall over this. Many fall over his demands. Things like forgiving the most unforgivable person we can think of. That's the way of Jesus, and many of us stumble over that one. Building unity among God's people at all costs, living out a, an ethic of love to God and to each other. Radical holiness, separation from sin, separation to God in all areas of life. Being a person of justice to the poor, the marginalized, the powerless, and the victimized. The call to servanthood, suffering, sacrifice, and even death for the cause. These are things we stumble over. These things we fall over. They're hard. But Jesus is also the person that we can build our life and faith on. That, that we can rise on. For Israel, for all people, he is the one who, who brings confidence of eternal salvation, healing and peace with God and with, other, with each other, hope for the future, mission and value in life, moral guidance, true spirituality, and a model for justice to the poor, the voiceless, the marginalized, and the victim, victimized. Simeon's prophecy to, to Mary is only too true. 
And to this day, many will fall and many continue to fall and rise on this person that we know as Jesus. The second part of this prophecy said that Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against and will expose the true hearts of all people. I don't know about you, but nothing exposes the true hearts of people than to talk about who Jesus really is. Years ago, Philip Yancey wrote a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. And by the way, uh, Yancey's just written an autobiography of his life. I just finished it. I couldn't put it down. It was, it's just an amazing read. I encourage you to, uh, if you get a chance, to uh, get that put in your stocking or something like that. But I remember, I remember years ago when he wrote that book, The Jesus I Never Do. I, I, it blew my mind. And it caused many of us to rethink or significantly shift our understanding of Jesus, especially his offensiveness. When the power of the Beatitudes really begin to take hold. When the model of Jesus loving the sinful, the immoral, the marginalized really catches our imagination. When we really grasp the implications of his actions to the the self-righteous and smug in the faith. When we hear the words suffering and servanthood and sacrifice and even death attached to Jesus. I don't know about you, but don't you find your heart Being exposed, I do mine. Jesus will be a sign that will will reveal our hearts. He will be a person that will challenge our beliefs and our behaviors. And for far too many, he will be maligned and spoken against. And this is the Jesus that you and I are called to follow. And then lastly, in this prophecy, he says, Jesus will bring a sword that will bring great pain. Simeon looks at Mary and he says, a sword will pierce your soul also. Can you imagine the shock and the pain that Mary felt at that moment? And yes, it was the cross, that horrible, cruel crucifixion. And yes, Mary, his mother, was there. Can we imagine the sword that was piercing her heart at the foot of that cross? A 13th century songwriter by the name of Jacopone wrote these opening lines to a 14 stanza hymn. And I'm not going to read all 14 stanzas. Here are the opening lines. At the cross, her station keeping, stood the mournful mother weeping close to Jesus at the last. Through her heart, her sorrow sharing, all his bitter anguish bearing, now at length the sword has passed. But folks hope and it was that sword that pierced her heart that brought us hope that sword of the cross and what pierced her heart brings the hope of salvation and the restoration of all things so we hear and we see we read the story of Simeon we learn that if we are to be godly and spirit filled we are to be a people in waiting waiting in hope now for Christ's second coming we learn that we are waiting for a person this Jesus this baby that came into the temple that day and the one that would bring God's salvation to all peoples and who would be the glory of Israel but now also of the church 
And so the third thing that we see in this story of Simeon is that Jesus will be someone who causes many to rise and many to fall in Israel and now into the church and world. A sign that will reveal our true hearts and a sword that pierced his mother's heart and in doing so will bring hope to all peoples. We have entered the season of waiting and waiting in hope, a season that goes beyond Simeon's waiting for a promised Messiah. We wait in hope for the final consolation of all, all things and all God's people and, in fact, for the world. We wait for that second coming of Christ and we find this encounter with Christ and we learn that he is, he is the one that brings consolation. He is God's light and salvation for all peoples. He is the glory of Israel and now the church. He will cause people to both fall and rise. He will be spoken against. He will expose our hearts and... Through him, his mother's soul will be pierced and the cross will happen and it will be the source of our hope. There's good news found here. This is the gospel. Christ has come. The sword that pierced Mary's heart happened to Christ on a cross. And through faith in that Christ, the consolation that can, that can be ours and all people's the peace that can be ours in all peoples. All people can have that hope of the restoration of all things, life eternal with Christ, a new heavens and a new earth when Christ comes that second time. It's good news. But there's challenge here, isn't there? I found that as I went over this story one more time this week, I found my world getting rocked, my worldview getting rocked. No, I'm not expected to be a Simeon waiting in a temple courtyard, but I am challenged that if I am to be a, a person characterized by righteousness, devotion, and being filled with the Spirit, which I want to be, I need to be a person in waiting, waiting in hope for Christ's second coming. And I need to re-energize that. We focus on that and realize that truly we are a people of the future. The fancy word that Dr. Fowler would use is we are a people of the eschaton. That's Dr. Fowler, okay? Just wanted you to know that. The day coming. I need to be a person who sees Jesus of Nazareth as the true revelation and light of God to all peoples, Jew and Gentile, and the only true light. And the implication is I have some level of responsibility of getting that revelation to all peoples, whether across the street or across the world, in the mission of what, and of what I am and what I do. I need to be a person who lives out and lives with a Jesus that causes people to rise and fall and not be liked or embraced when they truly get a hold of who Jesus really is. What's our response to all this? What is mine? I've kind of shared with you a little bit of what mine is. It's been a convicting week for me as I've worked on this text. What is yours? I don't know. I don't know how this impacts you. I can't say for you what should strike you. And I just encourage each of us to open this text, our hearts, in the presence of the Spirit, 
and seek God's face to know how we need to respond. God bless you all.